Hey everybody, just a quick word about today's episode. It's our first live show that we did out at DSI Comedy on the 27th in Chapel Hill. Thanks to everybody who showed up. It was fantastically fun. Uh, the recording's a little rough, but I think you'll enjoy it. And the movie clips that we play in the context of the show should be pretty self-explanatory. So without further ado, here it is, our live show. Again, thanks to uh, Ashley and Zach and Megan and everybody over at DSI and everybody who came out. We had a blast. Here it is. Thanks. Uh, but first, I'm going to get off this stage and let you enjoy an episode of Prefer Not To. This is a great new idea for this uh, festival, so that's off to DSI for the uh, idea of wedding podcasting to improv comedy. We uh, are prefer not to. We're a sometime cocktail hour. Always cocktail hour. Uh, podcast. I, uh, with your host, Josh and Kate, as should be pretty obvious by now, I am not Kate. Yeah, yeah. I don't, what are you, what are you doing, Kate? Okay. I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna. I'm gonna toss you a ball. Okay, catch the ball. No, you didn't. It's right here. Ca- no. Catch the ball. I don't. Have- okay, we're doing an exercise where I'm gonna toss you a ball and you show me how no. you react to it. No, you know, I'm like, not. Whether it's we're gonna, slimy or it's really and heavy. We're gonna talk about some movies. Energy. <laughs> no. Okay, I think I know what's going on. I think you. Were, I think you were under the mistaken impression. That we were part of the improv part. Me, meow, moo, meow, meow. No. So we're just gonna do like a sh- like a regular show. This is like all the pieces are kind of falling into place now. Uh, that copy of Truth and Comedy that you have on your da- uh, nightstand. I don't know what you're talking about. All the vocal exercises. Oh. Yeah. So- okay. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna okay. give it. Here's your prompt. Okay. All right? uh, you're a podcast host. Yeah. You host a podcast. But I have robot hands. You have robot hands that are indistinguishable in every possible way from actual human hands. And go. Hey, Josh, what's up? Hey, um, so every episode, Kate and I sample a cocktail that, at least in theory, we haven't had Mm -hmm. uh, before and talk a little bit about it, render a verdict on it, talk about the history of it, talk about how it gets made. Mm -hmm. Um, Then we sort of move on to discussing the various bits of cultural ephemera that have floated through the transom that week, as it were. It's usually movies. Um, We've put together a series of shows about uh, different kinds of movies, uh, forgotten number one movies, um, forgotten sequels, uh, Irwin Allen disaster films. Right now we're doing a series on movies made from television shows. We're not going to do that tonight because we probably don't have enough time to do a full movie part of the show. But the good news is, because you folks uh, paid money, in theory, to see us <laughs> in person, uh, we're going to do a few clips from some movies that we enjoyed watching during the first two years of doing our show, talk a little bit about the journey that we've gone on with watching movies, and uh, then uh, send you home. But first, we're going to talk about our cocktail that we're having today, but also we have to do uh, our standard disclaimers. Yeah. Okay, do you want to do the first disclaimer? Uh, our first standard disclaimer is that uh, we um, alcoholism is a real problem. So if you feel like you or someone that you know has an issue with alcoholism, you should go to your doctor. Just like if you had like MRSA or like your toe was falling off or something like that, 
They're, they're one and the same people, so. Well, not the same. Oh, okay. I mean, they can both kill you, but. Right. I, actually, because I think people with MRSA probably smell pretty bad, too. Like, okay, I'm getting the energy. It's, okay. What fleshy, non-robotic hands you have. Thank you. Uh, the second disclaimer is, uh, we used to do a second disclaimer that Kate and I don't actually know anything about cocktails or movies, which still is strictly speaking true, but you'll pick that up from context clues, so we don't actually need to warn you. Yeah, no. Uh, but we also are not really seasoned stage veterans, I think, although you can tell from Kate's, let's call it energy, uh, that she has spent time on the stage. Uh, I, on the other hand, was last uh, treading the boards in third grade uh, in my tour de force performance as Christopher Robin in uh, The Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, uh, in which I was unable to complete my uh, signature song, How Sweet to Be a Cloud, because my friends Randy Lewis and Chris McGuire were making faces at me in the audience, which you guys won't have a problem with because I can't see one of you. Yes. I'm assuming there are hundreds of people in the audience. Yes, and. Yes, and. And. That was. Yes, and. Yes, and. And. Um, so the point being, eh, I'm going to run off stage crying, irrespective of whether or not I screw things up. So relax. It's, uh, if there's any amateur behavior up here on the, our, our part, that's just the way things go. So, Kate? Mm hmm. What are we drinking tonight? We are having Long Island iced teas. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm gonna mix it up. I'm gonna mix it up while you uh, talk to us a little bit about the drink. So uh, the Long Island iced tea is a lovely beverage. By the way, we tried to get these for you, uh, but uh, yeah, that would be illegal. Yeah, there's no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but hey, the specials on uh, Optimist. Go for that. I like IPAs. So, so a little bit about the Long Island iced tea. Um, this is a drink that is known um, by David Wondrich. He's a cocktail expert and writer. And he says that uh, it's not the worst drink in existence. It is, however, um, strong and trashy. So that gives you an idea. That was from an article entitled, How to Make a Long Island Iced China. Tea If You Must. So... <laughs> And it's known less as a drink than a way of getting drunk, a sugary but powerfully alcoholic concoction of cola and just about every house liquor behind the bar. But really, really, Kate, in two years of making cocktails, I think we've learned that there's not really a bright, shining line between delicious cocktail and just a way to get you drunk. True. So there's two um, competing origin stories for this particular cocktail. Um, the one that is probably the most accepted involves a gentleman named Robert Rosebud Butt, a bartender at whoa, the whoa, Oak whoa. Beach Kate, Inn. Whoa. Whoa, slow down. Yeah. His name is Bob mm -hmm. Rosebud Butt. Yep. So in the course of doing your research for this show. Yep. Did you Google Rosebud Butt? I did, and it was a mistake. Do not do that. <laughs> do not. No. Um, so he was a bartender at the Oak Beach Inn in Long Island, and this was his uh, recipe was allegedly created in 1972 during a cocktail contest in which the only rule was that the drink had to contain triple sec. Wait. That's it. That's like the only rule being the drink must be served in a glass. Yeah. So um, triple sec is not difficult to put into anything. So uh, we've got a picture of the gentleman uh, that we can show you. Um, there he is. That's Mr. Butt. His old rosebud butts. Good old butt. Um, and uh, it quickly became the signature drink of the OBI, which mm -hmm. had five other um, locations on Long Island, like OBI East, OBI South. And then from there, it flew off and changed the world. Yep. Uh, oh, was there an OBI Fire Island? Because with a name <laughs> like Rosebud Butts, he'd really be missing out. <laughs> you would hope so. Um, 
So Mr. Butts, uh, his cocktail recipe is as follows. Um, his, and this is straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak, two cups of ice cubes, one part vodka, one part gin, one part white rum, one part white tequila. He's very strict on the white liquors. Sure. Racist. And um, as a half part triple sec, half part sour mix, one splash of Coke, and lemon wedge for garnish. So we're missing the lemon wedge, but by and large, we're, we're drinking Mr. Butt's recipe today. How is it, Josh? Uh, it's unpleasant. It's not. Oh my god. It tastes like a drink that was designed to look like that, like really watery iced tea, which okay. I think we're going to get into as part of it. We this. are. So the second origin story, as some will tell it, involves a man named Old Man Bishop, uh, who was a businessman in the 1920s um, on Long Island, which is an island in the Holston River in Kingsport, Tennessee. That's right. Long Island, Tennessee. Yep. Um, he allegedly uh, created the LIT through trial and error. There are a couple of stories about how that might have happened. We don't have a picture of Mr. Ransom, Bishop, uh, Mr. Bishop, but we can only imagine that he looks something like this. So, um, because really, with a name like Ransom Bishop, if you don't look like that, you're missing out on life. Yeah. So, uh, Mr. Bishop was a, a bootlegger and apparently passed the recipe down to his son, Ransom Bishop, which is even better. Um, which, yeah. So, just. Just to bring everyone up to speed, we're talking about a, a contest between uh, Rosebud Butts and Ransom Bishop. Yeah. And, um, this is not amateur wrestling. Apparently, it was, reflect, it was perfected by his son, and then from there, um, it kind of, again, changed the world. The idea being that it was good because it looks like iced tea, so you can hide it from the cops during Prohibition. I don't know if that's true. I mean... I don't... That's one that of the stories. Somewhat, that seems somewhat uh, of a dodgy proposition. Yeah. Well, my question is this, uh, during proposition, uh, prohibition. Mm -hmm. proposition. Uh, so what circumstances are there when a police officer can see the beverage that you're drinking, yeah. but not smell it or taste it, and will use that as evidence to apprehend you for the consumption of the I don't know. I don't think it I makes much sense. Like a, like a bunch of people just 15 feet away drinking cocktails all the time. Just, just a lot of tea, and then they start sense. dancing crazy. Yeah. Yes. Um, so a recipe for the LIT appears as early as 1961 in a Betty Crocker cookbook, which I love, because it's like upside down pineapple cake next Lemon to squares. a ham next to a booze bullet that will get you drunk. Like, um, it also shows up in the American Home All-Purpose Cookbook by Virginia Habib, which is available on Amazon, and you guys and should get fair, it. to be fair, getting drunk is a purpose. Yeah. Published in 1966, which may have been also part of the origin story for this cocktail that it was originally created by housewives in the 1950s and 60s who were trying to steal as little bit of liquor from each bottle so their husbands wouldn't notice. Which is also bullshit because, frankly, if that's the case, then every 15-year-old ever has invented the Long Island iced tea. Yeah. So, Mr. Uh, Mr. Ransom Bishop's recipe is a little bit different. It goes like this. It's two cups of um, two, one fresh lemon half, one fresh lime half, both squeezed into a pint glass, half part rum, half part gin, one part vodka, one part whiskey, half part tequila, and a half part maple syrup. That is an entirely different recipe. So, it's an entirely different recipe. Um, so, I'm inclined personally to give credence to Mr. Butts, first of all, because it is the more... Well, I always do. And it's the more um, modern recipe. And uh, it's also... Um, what are the kids calling credence these days? <laughs> um, 
so I, out of the two of them, I think probably one, they're two different cocktails, yeah. first of all. I think probably, yeah, right. I think you're probably right. I think there was this sort of, probably this idea floating in the ether that you could uh, disguise a drink by putting a little bit of brown whatever in it, be it maple syrup or Coca-Cola. Oh, God. Yeah, I warned you. That's the worst. Uh, yeah, and that I don't think that, that it takes a lot of uh, a, a big logical leap to think that people independently came up with that idea. There was also a trend in the 70s and 80s of um, leading away from like traditional cocktails with like your, your whiskeys and your rye and everything as the base and leaned more towards gin and vodka and they got progressively sweeter and also grosser. Um, this is where you get your sex on the beach, your Harvey Wallbangers, your, your pina colada craze, your pina coladas, your, your mud mai slides, your Mai Tais, like all of that. So well, the Mai Tais earlier, that's early 60s. Yeah, um, and I even saw an article saying that the start of uh, TGI Fridays, the first one opened up in 1962, is the reason we have the Long Island iced tea. I don't want to go that far, um, but it is part of a general cocktail train, and it is... Um, a beverage? It is a beverage, yes, that's, that's you could say that. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's true. So uh, this is usually the part of the show where we um, take the beverage oh, yeah, and attempt to find a movie that it most resembles. <laughs> what do you, um, <laughs> what do you, what, what would you say? Well, I would say the criteria that we'd have to use is it has to have a lot of parts yep. in it mm -hmm. uh, that aren't necessarily trying to work together at all. No. Uh, and that end up leading to something that is worse than any of them considered individually. Okay. Okay. Um, which I, I'm thinking of actually some of the movies that we watched for the show, but I was wondering what you might. What you um, the first thing that immediately popped to me was, um, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, yeah, it reminds me. Hey, I'll tell you. Anybody see Aloha, the Cameron Crowe movie? <laughs> anybody see that? Yeah, like one of those movies. It's with like a lot of parts, of and it just all kind of like. I was thinking yeah. they are the Irwin Allen disaster movies, Ooh. where you have like twenty-five Ooh. stars, and they all have plot lines that don't end up going anywhere, mm -hmm. uh, and that they don't actually add up to any sort of cohesive whole for a movie. No, they don't. Yeah. No. Nope. So, that's the case with the Long Island iced tea. So, are you enjoying it? No. <laughs> yeah. Is this a flavor gauntlet? Do we have to finish this one? Let's just. In addition to the podcast, we have a YouTube series that we started called, called Flavor Gauntlet. Flavor Gauntlet, where Kate and I dare one another to drink beverages that are... Disgusting. Yeah. Um, um, all it's right. like that game you used to play where you had to drink all the things that people put in the blend. Like Bill Haberchuk on Frag Freaks and Geeks. So this is normally the part of the podcast where we would like transition to talk about a specific movie fitting to our theme. Um, right now on the show, we're doing TV shows that were then turned into movies. But like Josh said earlier, we don't have enough time to handle that and do all that. So we're going to do a retrospective. No it's, not, no? it's not that it's, we don't have enough time. You've got to sell them on it. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Energy. <laughs> um, we thought instead we'd sort of show you some of the clips because you're here in person and you paid good money to come out and see us, which thank you again for supporting live performance and whatnot. Um, we thought we would show you clips from some of the movies that we thought we've watched and talk a little bit about the uh, journey. The journey, were, yeah. That we've had over the course of the past two years making this show to give you, if you guys find yourselves interested, a taste for what you might be into if you went and looked into the back catalog and a taste uh, looking forward. So Kate and I started just making a cocktail podcast. It turned out that we found ourselves talking not infrequently about some of the movies that we watched, and we decided to give ourselves structure uh, and force ourselves to watch some things that we might not otherwise have watched. Because I think uh, in, the, in, in today's age of uh, so much streaming media, there's so much culture out there, you can often be uh, swamped 
by trying to figure out what to say. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that you and I sit for 30 minutes almost nightly and, and try to watch something and end up watching nothing is proof it We just end up going right back to the well, which is episodes of Moonlighting, so. Yeah, that's true. Um, Blackadder. It's, it's a great show. Um, so we, uh, we put these rules on ourselves. The first one we put on was uh, we had this arcane system for choosing uh, forgotten number one movies uh, to watch. From like the year of our birth and only if there's like a full moon and like, you know, like it had to be like a blue moon. Oh, wait, I forgot to remind people. Uh, if I get boring, uh, just like raise your hand, or Kate, raise your hand, and uh, I'm going to pull something out of my, my notebook. Now, granted, reminder, we are not, uh, it's not a comedy notebook, so this is really just like notes I make to myself during the day. So it won't actually be funny, uh, but like a, like a YouTube video where people have put a bunch of jump cuts in, uh, it'll, it'll be change that substitutes as the illusion of comedy. Yep. Um, so we started off uh, as a bad movie, I guess, podcast, yep. um, which and I don't know, you might have noticed, we are the only one. We're on the, the only one that exists. There are no other podcasts no others. that do bad, no. Um, that's like every third. No, uh, we are the only one, right? No, we, I, this elaborate bubble that I have constructed around you <laughs> to keep you protected from the, we're all just here to confront you with the fact that. This is the worst intervention this ever. Is, <laughs> This is the least original podcast Aww. idea ever. Uh, no, so we found ourselves watching bad movies, um, and then uh, a strange thing happened was as the course of we watching them, we started finding things that we liked in movies that we hadn't seen before. So uh, with the exception of some really loathsome movies, like the first one we're going to show you a clip from, uh, Death Wish 3. I liked it. Yeah, it's still, it is, uh, and I'm not going to pull any punches on this. This is a morally uh, loathsome movie. It is fascist in its sentiment <laughs> down to its very core. Uh, basically, Charles Bronson stars as a uh, vigilante who, uh, with a series of ever-enlarged ordnance, haphazardly kills the residents of a... Uh, Borough a or multi -ethnic, neighborhood. Yeah, a multi-ethnic gang led by... Um, uh, Happy Days fans, you remember Chuck Cunningham uh, from season one of Happy Days and you were like, where did the brother Chuck go? Turns out he was, in fact, leading a gang in uh, Death Wish 3. Yeah. So the scene you're about to see doesn't require a lot of setting up. It, 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 so it's, but aside from it being morally reprehensible, it's also one of the most... Uh, Fairly poorly made. Incompetently directed, edited, and paced uh, movies that I've ever seen. And the scene that you're about to see is going to be an example of what we consider one of the strangest abrupt tone changes that the movie's ever had. So we can do clip one. Get a taxi. Are you out Thanks. They say she'll be alright. Just has a broken arm. I'll take you to the hospital. Come on. Baptist Medical Center. Dr. Appleburn to the emergency room. Step. The doctor is in here. Mr. Rodriguez? How's my wife? Can I see her? Mrs. Rodriguez has expired. <laughs> So that's a jump. <laughs> that was, that movie took a bit of a left turn. She has a broken arm and when they get to the hospital, she's dead. Yeah. 
so uh, that was, and again, I, I think that is probably the only movie, and Kate uh, enjoys it, and I enjoy it on an ironic level, but I think that's the only movie that we found only the ability to enjoy through uh, sheer irony, yeah. uh, without finding any craft. That's fair. Uh, the next movie we watched, I think, sort of represented a bit of a turning point for at least me when I watched movies, which is, we watched Staying Alive, uh, Staying Alive. Staying. Right, which is the, uh, pardon? Oh, which is... Uh, the sequel to Saturday Night Fever, which I think all of you were wondering what happened uh, to Tony Manero after uh, he, he grew up as a child, and it turned out, of course, that he was going to pursue his dream of being a repertory dancer on, on Broadway. Broadway. Um, and this movie, like Death Wish 3, exists in an entirely fantastical alternate universe in which essentially Broadway dancing is like professional sports. Yep. And, and it is very macho. Totally. All of, the, all of the dancers are very macho, and they are uh, ordered around by an incredibly gruff yet loving uh, head coach slash choreographer. <laughs> um, and it, the scene you're about to see is the so it's, it's structured essentially like a sports movie. And the scene you're about to see is the equivalent of the halftime pep talk show that every uh, every sports movie gets, but by the again incredibly butch uh, choreographer. And I'm not joking, this guy's like, he's, uh, so if we can do the second clip. Good luck. An arrow? What are you doing out there? What are you talking about? What are, I'm dancing. You're dancing? You call that dancing? That's a personal war you're having. How dare you two are a pair of dancers? You want to fight, you do it on your own goddamn time. The show is the thing, Monero, not you. The show, you'll remember that. I'll remember that. He's, he's gonna remember that. So, <laughs> uh, so that's a... Uh, that's a movie we watched. But the thing that we found when we watched that was, we're watching this movie, and it is truly a really bad movie. It's one of Sylvester Stallone's only directorial efforts. But while we're watching it, uh, we found ourselves entranced by the performance of Sylvester Stallone's brother, Frank. Frank Stallone. Now, granted, it's not a role that's really super far outside of his wheelhouse, because he basically plays the guitarist in a bar band, yep. who just sort of lurks around in a lot of scenes. But he is far and away the most enjoyable thing in the movie. So if, perhaps, uh, you're ever incredibly high and watching TNT at 2.30 in the morning and this comes on, stick around to watch uh, Frank Stallone. And then, so he did the soundtrack too. So. Yeah, he did. he did. And actually had a hit single from it. I forgot what it was, but it's like circa 1985. Also, the, the song by the Bee Gees is Stay In Alive with an apostrophe, and the movie is Staying Alive, and that drives me mad. <laughs> Just mad. Why did they do that? Why did they feel the need to do that? Um, so then, after that happened, uh, Kate and I started finding things that we really, really liked in movies, and movies that we liked that we had never heard of. For instance, when we were doing number one movies, we saw a movie called Burnt Offerings from 1979, which I don't think is a great movie. It's um, a lot like The Shining, except that it came out before The Shining, and the the book was also written before The Shining. Yeah. Um, and uh, it has Oliver Reed and Karen Black and um, Betty Davis in her second to last screen role. But the thing that we took from it, or most took from it, is this really crazy one scene performance by Burgess Meredith, who you folks will probably remember as either the Penguin or Rocky's coach or from any number of Twilight Zone episodes. There's, he, he plays the, the... Or the grumpiest old man and grumpiest old men. Right. <laughs> he, he plays a owner of a house that Oliver Reed and Karen Black are going to rent for the summer. And 
it's our opinion, you may not share our opinion on this, but that there's something that the director is trying to code about this character's sexuality in, in what Burgess Meredith is, is putting in the performance. So if we could have the third clip. I mean, look at them all, they're all man, it's an absolute idiot, and we've got to get rid of them, do you understand? Do you? Uh, this is my brother Arnold, as you can see, he's full of beans today. So you are the people who want to rent this house, is that right? Um, yes, well, we were just discussing terms with your, um, lady. Oh, I like them, Roz, I like them. There's a boy, too. Yes, our son David. He's playing in the garden. Really? Show me to him. Hurry, Ross. I want to see. Darling. Oh, God, what a charming little boy. How old is he? Eight or nine? No, twelve. Twelve? Three. <laughs> He's full of the devil, too, isn't he? Sorry, maybe he shouldn't be walking around. No, 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 leave him alone. He's fine. He's just fine. Fine. So, and we're laughing, but it's a really, it's a, like, you will never, I guarantee you, you will never forget that. Uh, and that's what we started taking from these movies. That it's, it's impossible in our house to even go, hey, Josh, how much longer do we have on the, on the, on the turkey in the oven? Eight or nine minutes? Um, and that's what we started taking from these movies is that, you know, as a, as a sort of late capitalist American culture machine, we create mm-hmm. so much culture and so much craft goes into all of this stuff that just gets forgotten. And a lot and of it gets lost. Away. Yeah. And there's so much weird, great stuff to find. I, the, the analogy that I always come up with, I was watching that documentary, The Wrecking Crew. Do you guys know the, the Wrecking Crew documentary about the session musicians in Los Angeles? Right. Woo! Yeah, so, you know. Uh, there's there's a bit of it where they talk to Hal Blaine. Do you guys know how, who Hal Blaine is? He's like the greatest drummer that almost nobody knows. Who is. I guarantee you, you know his most famous drum line, which is right. So he did "Be My Baby." He also did the drum line on uh, the Hawaii Five O theme. But he also did the drums on the Captain and Tennille's "Love Will Keep Us Together." And if you listen, but here's what I'm telling you: if you listen to that song. And listen to when he goes into the uh, uh, da 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 keep us together. There is some crazy syncopated drums going on there. So that's the analogy I like to lose. I it's don't. Like, hold on, I'm, I don't get it. I like that song. I know. That's it's a good song, right? I, I know. I know you do. So my what? point is, hey, try and find some good things in the things that you watch because you might be very pleasantly surprised. And also, you can take a gamble on watching almost anything. Google a movie that was number one the year of your birth. Yeah. And Create wacky rules for yourself. Yeah, and you'll find some really great stuff. Yeah. So, okay, Jeff, I'm doing this. This? Yeah. Yes. I want to thank uh, everybody for coming out. Yes, thank you so uh, much. You can find us on iTunes. Search for Prefer Not To. Uh, we're also we on Stitcher. We're on Stitcher also, if, you, if that's your power, whatever your aggregator of choices. We're pntcast at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, search for Prefer Not To. You'll get to see a lot of pictures of our cats. A lot of cats. Um, thanks to my family who showed up. Woo! Uh, uh, Jeff, Kate's boyfriend, who showed up. Um, and, just, to, and thanks to DSI, DSI and Zach really, for doing yeah. this. Thanks to Megan for all the great technical work. You really saved us. Thanks to Ashley for walking us through this. It was really, really helpful. We were incredibly nervous. Um, and really, just thanks for being a great audience. I'm going to send you home with the greatest 30 seconds that we discovered while doing this show. 
on a disaster movie. 30 seconds from a movie called The Swarm, which stars, among other people, um, Olivia are, de Havilland. Who you will not see the scene, Olivia de Havilland, Richard Widmark, um, uh, uh, Slim Pickens, uh, Richard Chamberlain, Mel Ferrer. I mean, oh, yeah. lots he of people. Uh, the scene you're going to see is between Peter, F- uh, not Peter Fonda, Henry Fonda, screen <coughs> legend Henry Fonda, and Michael Caine uh, discussing the menace that they've found. So, thank you very much. Have a good night and enjoy the best scene we ever found. Well, uh, that's it then. Yep. Looks like your nightmare's finally arrived. The combined venom delivered by the singers of three or more of these bees may be a fatal dosage of the average human being. Victim would be unconscious in a minute. We've been fighting a losing battle against the insects for 15 years. But I never thought I'd see the final face-off in my lifetime. And I never dreamed that it would turn out to be the bees. <laughs> They've always been our friends. <laughs> Thanks. Thank Thanks, you so everybody. Much.